if you'd like to take your Bibles and turn with me, our text, our major text this morning is going to be from the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 26. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 26. This is on the night that Jesus is betrayed. He is having, uh, he is observing a pat, the, the Passover meal with his disciples. And we see in this passage, it says this. While they were eating, he took some bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said to them, take it. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many. Truly, I say to you, I will never again drink the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus and his disciples have gathered together to observe the Passover. We need to always remember that Jesus and his disciples, his first disciples, his first followers, were Jewish And Jesus did everything according to the scriptures. He fulfilled the entire law. And a part of the command of his father on the people of Israel was that every year they would meet together and observe uh, the Passover meal. And Jesus said on the night before he was to go to the cross that he desired greatly to dine with his brothers, to dine with the disciples. And so they've gathered together. They've had the meal. Um, it's debatable or not whether Judas had already been escorted and, or left or if he was there. I personally tend to think that Jesus asked him to leave before uh, he allowed these, his true disciples, uh, to partake of the new covenant meal with him. So we're going to talk today about the Lord's Supper. And in our modern evangelical churches, I think that one of the things that we have forgotten is how important this ordinance is. Jesus in the New Testament covenant has given us two ordinances, two ways that we are commanded to observe him. One of them is baptism, and one of them is the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says we are to do this oft in remembrance of him. And so many of our churches nowadays have gotten to where Usually we do it on Easter Sunday and maybe Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And after that, that's about it. And in fairness, a lot of us do that because we avoid, we want to avoid the appearance of the Catholic Church who has a mass every Sunday. They do this every Sunday. And we we don't want to be those people. We don't want to be those orthodox ritualized people that just come and do this just because, well, that's what we do and, and because it's a ritual. But anything in our worship can become ritual. Your prayer life can become dead and orthodox. Your study of the word of God can become dead and orthodox. Your, Your love and sharing with other people can become dead and orthodox. So what we need to understand is this table is hosted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he invites us to come as often as we will. And so today what I want to do as we, we read that passage, we're going to talk about what the Lord's Supper is, what it means, and 
why it should be important to us. So really quickly again, the text that we've read this morning shows Jesus and his disciples. It shows him gathering for this Passover meal, the old covenant meal, if you will. And now he is introducing them to a new covenant meal, a new observation that will be established in his shed blood on the cross. And we want to learn and see why that is so important to us. I want to share with you a, a statement of our belief as Baptists. It says, the supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by him on the same night wherein he was betrayed. It was to be observed by his church, by his churches, unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance and showing to the world the sacrifice of himself in his death, the confirmation of the faith of believers in all its benefits thereof, their spiritual nourishment, their growth in him, their further engagement in him, and to all duties which they owe him. And it is to be a bond and a pledge of our communion with him and with each other. A meal is a time when family gathers together and enjoys one another's company. And that's one of the purposes of this table. It's for us as the family to say that you are my eternal brothers and sisters. And because of what Christ and what he did on that cross for us, we have the right and the freedom and the liberty and the command to come and be a family and partake of his body and his blood. And so Jesus established that in that text that we read from Mark. He established that this is the way that we will do it. And he's telling his disciples, he's saying, and I will not drink of the vine again with you until we are together in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen. And I would love to think, and it may be, that we're going to have one giant banquet and it's going to fill up a field that's as big as the United States and all the saints will be around the table but the reality is there's a spiritual significance to this table and this banquet. It's that we are family and we come together with our Father who art in heaven through his Son and through the power of his Spirit. And we are one in body. And we enjoy each other's fellowship. We enjoy communion together. And all of those things are signified in the table. And so I want to share with you a few things to think about today as we prepare to come to the table. The body, th this body is a union with him and we are members of his body. So by coming to the table, we are professing that we have a bond, a union with one another in Christ and that we are members of his body. We are to remember that this is a seal of his promise to us and a renewal of our obedience to him. What do I mean with a seal? The Old Testament uh, believers, the nation of Israel, the men in Israel carried a seal with them. It was called circumcision. And it was a physical representation of what was supposed to be taking place spiritually within their hearts. It was a seal that they belonged to the family of God. This and baptism, our two ordinances, are seals. They are physical signs of spiritual realities that join us together. 
This is a seal of our oneness with Christ. This is our seal as a family of God. Now, again, I want it to be very important. It's very important that we recognize the fact that we worship him in spirit and in truth. And the true seal is the seal of the Holy Spirit regenerating our hearts and filling us with his new life. But this physical seal is something that we do to recognize our union in that spiritual seal. It is an assurance that he is present with us. He is present with all of us that are gathered together in his name. It's an opportunity for us to feed spiritually on the bread of life. It is a pledge of his coming again. What did he tell his disciples? I'm not going to partake of this meal with you again. I'm not going to partake of the wine again until we are all gathered together as one in the new heavens and the new earth. So it's, it's a promise that he keeps his promises. He promised us that he would send his son to die and save us. That broken body and that shed blood is a seal of that promise to me and you. And he promises once again that one day we will all be together with him. So all of those promises are, are there in that table. It's a pledge of his coming again. Four things that I do want us to make sure we focus on today. Number one, that this meal is a uh, remembrance. It is a reminder. It is a reassurance and it is a rehearsal. Let me say that again. It is a remembrance of what he has done for us. It is a reminder that we are his. It is a reassurance that he keeps his promises. And it is a rehearsal for things to come. It is a reminder of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice we observe it on the Lord Day because that is the day that we recognize his resurrection. It is a recognition of his triumph on the cross. The sermon and the supper always go together. Jesus taught his disciples and then invited them to the table. It is a means of grace. Now that is a big fancy term and I want to explain that to you. It is a means of grace. Right? When you hear it as a means of grace, you may think, well, these are the things that God has given us so that we can climb to his presence and be with him. But grace is not something that we do. Grace is a gift that he gives to us. So there are certain means of grace that God has given to his people, not so that we can get to him, but so that he can get to us. The word of God is a means of grace. It is a gift that God has given to us so that he can reach us and so that we can know him, so that we can have fellowship with him. Prayer is a gift that has been given from God so that we can commune with him. The preaching of the word of God is a gift that God has given to the church so that we can know him. Baptism is a gift from God. Communion, the Lord's table, is a gift from God. These are means of grace. These are the gracious gifts that God has given to his church so that we can know him in spirit and truth and so that we can worship him properly 
and so that we can live in his presence. So when we say means of grace, these are all things that we do. I'm up here preaching to you today. You pray. You study God's word. You, many of you in this room have been baptized and many of you have partaken of the Lord's table. So these are things that we do, but us doing them are not the things that get us to God. These are all things that God has given to us so that he can get to us. So when we come to the table, so often and in so many churches, we kind of think of our our justification, our righteousness before God as being based on what we do. We feel like, oh, if I go and I pray, then my spiritual batteries are charged up a little. And if I go to church, my spiritual batteries get a a little more charged. And, and, And boy, if I give some money in the offering plate, I get more spiritual charges. And boy, look at me, I'm a spiritual person. And if I come and eat that bread and drink that wine, man, that's going to fill me up for the rest of the week. I'm going to be holy, holy, holy. But the reality is your righteousness is not getting you anywhere. Jesus died on the cross to pay for all the times that you didn't pray, that you didn't go to church, that you didn't partake of the Lord's table. He died to take away your sin and to share his righteousness with you. So this is not a way for you and I to gain righteousness. This is a way for us to recognize that we are righteous in God's eyes because of what his son Jesus did for us. Amen. Amen? So when I say means of grace, these are not things that we do to get to God. These are the things that God has done to reach us. And we can always be thankful for that. Um, Some of you have heard me say in the past that I don't like to call this the altar. Well, the reality is, is back during the Reformation, the pastor's preaching was always way over here in the corner. And in the middle of the stage, if you will, the platform would be an altar. And it would be where they performed the mass. The preaching was over here. The altar was over there. Well, when the reformers came in and reformed everything, they got rid of the altar because they said, this is not an altar. The altar is the cross of Jesus Christ. We're going to replace the altar with the table, with the presence of the host. And they took the pulpit from out of the corner of the building and brought it into the center. Why? So that the preacher could be all eyes on him? You're not supposed to be looking at me. It's so that we can recognize that it is the word of God that is the center and foundation of our truth. And so we have the presence before us. And if you ever hear me say, that's why I feel a little nervous about calling this an altar, because we have a table. So if you need to come after the service while the music's playing and pray, come to the table and pray. Come to the presence. Come into Jesus Christ's presence in spirit and in truth and pray. So... Uh, we want to remember today that the table is a remembrance, that it is a reminder, that it is a reassurance, and that it is a rehearsal. And so I want to start with this remembrance. If you will, turn with me back in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. I want to talk about some Old Testament theology with you, some Old Testament theology. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to look really quickly at this. Exodus chapter 12. And we want to go back and we want to see Why Jesus and his disciples were around that table observing the Passover? Why were they doing this? And look with me in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. 
Now the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month will be the beginning of months for you. It is so to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all of the congregation of Israel, saying to them on the 10th of the month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's house, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, and you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male of a year old. You can take it from the sheep or the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat. And they will eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire. They will eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat of it raw or boiled or with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it into the morning, but whatever is left over into the morning, you will burn it with fire. Now you will eat it in this manner with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you will eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. For I'm going to go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down the firstborn of all of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, and I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, this day will be a more memorial to you and to your generation. It is a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it, as a permanent ordinance. Yes. So why was Jesus and his disciples in that room gathering around eating that meal? Because this is what Moses was given by God, commanded to the children of Israel, a, an ordinance that they were to follow. And what is this ordinance all about? This ordinance is all about the fact that God saved his people from the bondage and slavery of Egypt yes. and that he passed over that land and passed his judgment on the land. And whoever was in that home with the blood around the door, the angel of death passed over it and they did not suffer destruction. But anyone who, where the blood was not applied saw God's wrath and saw God's destruction. And so really quickly, if you can flip one more, I want to compare this to uh, 1 Corinthians. Were you able to get those in today or? Okay, let's look at this 1 Corinthians passage. Paul is telling disciples in the New Testament, this is not Old Testament, this is New Testament. Look what he says to them. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ is our Passover. Also, he has been sacrificed. So in the same way that the children of Israel sacrificed the Passover lamb and sat around and partook of that lamb and took the blood from that lamb and put it over the post of their house and they were spared from God's wrath, in the same way, Jesus at that meal shared with his disciples, guys, we have a new way of doing things. There's a new covenant and the new covenant is going to be cut in my blood. And if my blood is over you and your house, when I pass over the land, you will be spared. 
And so what he's doing is he's instituting this new seal. Remember what it said? You put the blood over the door and it will be a sign for your house. Remember what I told you one of the things about the table? It is a seal. That word is, means the same thing as it's a sign. This, bre- this uh, bread here, I cooked it the other night, and I promise you there's nothing in itself that's holy about it. It's flour and water and honey and olive oil. That's it, all right? But the reality is it signifies a bread that is holy, and that's the body of Jesus Christ. And we partake of it because it's a sign and a seal for us. So uh, we understand now that there was this uh, Old Testament covenant meal that would take place. And now Jesus, on the night before he goes to the cross, is establishing a new way of doing things. Look at ver- and back in that Exodus passage 12, 14, and look what it says again. This day will be a memorial for you. And you will celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And then I want you to look down at verse 21 to 28. For all of you parents in the room, I want you to see what this says. Look at verse 21 to 28. For the Lord will pass through and smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over that door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter into the land which the Lord your God will give you and he has promised you, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, What does this right mean? You will say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the sons of Israel in Egypt and he smote the Egyptians, but he spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshiped. So in the old covenant, all of the family was involved in the meal. In the new covenant, all of the family is involved in the meal. Now I want you to know something. When we fence the table today and come forward to take this meal, there are going to be people in this room that are going to be fenced from coming to the table. And the reason for that is because they have not made a public profession of faith, they have not been baptized into the church. You don't have to be a member of this church, but you do have to be a member of the family. And the members of the family are are those who have regenerated hearts and who have made a public profession of faith. But I want you to watch what he said. This is very important. He said, when your kids ask about this, explain to them that we were slaves in Egypt and God loved us so much that he came in and destroyed our enemies and set us free. And in the same way, you and I, when we come forward and take this meal today and our children ask us, why can't I have any? You can explain the gospel to them. You can say, you see, Jesus died on a cross to save broken men and women like me and you. And we've all sinned and we all need God's forgiveness. And his forgiveness is there for anyone who will receive him and believe him. But until he's changed your heart, until you've been baptized and made a public profession of faith in the church, you're not allowed to partake. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to make some of them mad but it's also going to get some of them thinking. So think about that. The children of Israel sat around that table and said, Daddy, why are we having to eat fluffy? 
We brought him in here four days ago and fed him. He was in the house with us because you have to bring the lamb in four days before you kill him. And the kids played with him and he wagged his little tail and bat, bat, bat all around the house. And then all of a sudden you went out in the yard and cut his throat. Daddy, why did you do that? And I can tell you, I can attest to you this very fact. Just the other day, I was sharing a meal with some people in this church and one of the kids asked me, why did they have to have all of those sacrifices in the Bible? Why did they have to bloody all of those animals? And it gave us a perfect opportunity to share with that child that it is through death that life comes. Any of you that ate a hamburger last night from Wendy's, some cow had to give its life so that you could live. And for you vegetarians in the room, you had to pull some fruit or vegetable up out of the roots and cut it off and kill it and eat it. And through the death of that plant, it brought life to you. And so this meal is a perfect opportunity for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our family and our loved ones. It's a perfect opportunity for us to share with visitors who come that don't feel comfortable coming and taking. It's a wonderful thing. All right. So that's our Old Testament theology. I want to look really quickly at New Testament theology and remind you that this meal is from him. It's from Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He's the host. And he has invited his brothers and sisters to come. Come and partake of this meal with me. It is a celebration of being members of the new covenant. It is a memorial meal in remembrance of him. Does that sound familiar? Exactly right. It's the same as the Old Testament theology. The Old Testament, it was a memorial meal that reminds us of him. And now in the New Testament... The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the father. And now it's in remembrance of him. And I can say him in the New Testament and him in the Old Testament. And I could be talking about God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, it has to be God, the son that's present at this table. Why? Because spirits don't bleed. Angels don't bleed. He became flesh. And poured his blood out for sinners like you and I. So, it is a meal. It is a memorial. Let's look at a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians. Paul is reminded, he said, when he had given thanks, he, this is Jesus, broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. You see, Jesus... Right now, this very second, we know from the word of God that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. To say that he, this is his body means that he is spiritually present with us. Bodily, he's sitting next to the Father in heaven. But spiritually, he is on and around the table. He is not in the bread. That is the promise that some of the other religions out there have, they believe when you say hocus pocus and break the bread, that's where that word hocus pocus come from. It comes from horum quorum. It, it comes from a Latin phrase. It means poof. This is now turned into real flesh. All right, I'm not making fun. I'm telling you the truth. Jesus is not spiritually in the bread and he is, well, he's not physically in that bread. He does not turn into the bread. He's in heaven. We can't feed on him. You remember in the book of John, in John 6, Jesus said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And all of the people walked away because they thought he was talking about being a cannibal. 
There's a spiritual reality to this table that we need to understand. He is around and on the table. He is not in the bread. You see how that works? So all believers are members of the body of Christ. So we need to remember, number one, in our New Testament theology, that there is a communion, a fellowship, a participation with Christ in this meal. And number two, we need to remember that all believers are members of the body of Christ. Let's look at another passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 10. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and 13. Oh, we'll do this one. Uh, this is, again, talking about him being there. Is this not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is this not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? So Paul is making sure that we understand that by drinking the wine and eating the bread that we are sharing in the body and the blood of Christ. Next passage. There is one bread. Who, and we, who are many, are one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Now, again, there are people all over this world today taking communion. To say that there's one bread, that don't make sense, does it? Because I didn't have enough flour to make stuff for everybody in the whole world that's partaking of the Lord's Supper today. What does it say? The one body, the one bread, the one body is who? Christ. And we are his body. He's the bread. We're the body. He's the head. We're the body. So this table is offered to all of those who are a part of his body. A couple more things and we'll wind down. I want to make a note on his presence. This is another creedal statement here that says, In this ordinance, Christ is not offered up to the Father. There is not a real sacrifice being made here at this table this morning for the remission of sins or the quickening of the dead. It is only a memorial of that one offering up for himself, by himself on the cross, once for all. It is a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same. So that the popish sacrifice of the mass, as they call it, is an abominable and injurious to Christ's own sacrifice, the alone propitiation for our sins. What is it saying? To say that I break that and re-sacrifice Jesus is saying that his one sacrifice on the cross was not enough. This is a memorial to remember the one sacrifice that was made for all of his people. One sacrifice. So when we come today, we are not partaking of the sacrifice. We are partaking of a remembrance of that one sacrifice that took place. Okay? There is a spiritual presence at this table. Christ is indeed present at the table, but not according to the flesh. This is a rehearsal dinner. Though not physically present at the table, we are reminded that this is where we will one day be seated with him. And the last thing and the most, one of the most important things before we come and partake this morning is this. This is a proclamation of the gospel. Your children, those that are not believers, this is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Let's look at one last passage of scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins 
according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. All right, what is the point Paul's making here? Everything that Jesus did was a fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. Everything that Jesus did was a fulfillment of his promise to come and save his people. Everything that he did is a fulfillment of those promises. And one of those promises is that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I'll take you and there you'll be with me also. So in the same way that he was capable of keeping his promises in the Old Testament, it's the same way that he was able to keep those promises of a coming and delivering us from our sin. It's the same way that he's going to deliver that final promise of a new heavens and a new earth and all of his people being with him as one. So as we share from this table this morning, I want you to remember that this is a remembrance that God keeps his promises. And if you are in this room today and you are a born again, blood-bought child of God, it is because you are a part of that promise. And you have been given the right, the freedom, the privilege, and the ability to come forward and partake. Amen? Father, we come now uh, to a time that we get to celebrate and observe your table. You are the host 